Well, um, I am going to be talking today uh, about being thirsty. Anybody thirsty right now? Yeah. Like, like physically thirsty. Like I, I know certain people, they, they, they get where I'm going already. But I mean, is anybody physically thirsty right now? Like you could use a good drink of water right now. Okay, well, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to wait about another 25 minutes and then maybe you can get a drink of water. But uh, I want to talk about being thirsty today. Um, I tell you, um, let me grab my phone real quick because I was going to read something off of it. I normally never read over my phone, but... I, I, uh, I've currently added something to my, my personal time in the mornings, and I know that I've talked about it in the past. Some of you have uh, maybe joined in uh, doing it, but there is an app called The First 15, and I would encourage you to uh, look that app up in your app store, download it. It is a great, great uh, tool uh, for your personal time. Um, it's not to be like the complete thing, but it's definitely um, a way to get you started or just to add to. Uh, but it's called First 15. It's a great devotional app uh, for you to use on a daily basis. And um, we actually have a group created in that app. So if you go, uh, if you've downloaded the app, you go to groups, go to join a group or enter an invite code. And the invite code is B as in boy, seven, nine. So B is in boy 7-9, you can join that group. You can actually post in that. If you've got any thoughts when you read, you can post some of that, and then we can comment back and forth, that kind of deal. So it's first 15, and what's, re- what's really neat about it is, is that um, there's a theme for every week. So uh, in a seven-day time period, you go through a theme, and then he, uh, the, the writer of this devotion breaks that theme into seven different parts or seven different aspects of that big big idea for the week and um, so you've got a scripture that's kind of the, the, the main scripture of the day and then you have uh, a worship video in there that you can worship to which I think is just a great great addition to your devotion time uh, because it's one thing to read it's another to worship as well and in fact if you if you if you read the Lord's Prayer it tells you to start with worship and so worships there in the beginning and, uh, and, and so it's a great uh, variety of different people uh, that he puts on there. So it's really great. And then there's the devotion part. And then there's also guided prayer at the end where he guides you through some prayer points and how to pray through what you just read. And so it's really just an awesome, awesome resource that I'd highly encourage you to make part of your daily time with God. And so um, there was something that uh, in, in this particular series that he's in, which is about to come to a close, um, it's all about uh, the, 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 simple, the simplicity of the Christian life. And I wanted to read uh, this, and, and when I read this uh, earlier in the week, it just really kind of spurred me on to the message for today. So I'm going to read you uh, this part. Uh, it says, The Christian life is meant to be marked by simplicity. Jesus summed up our purpose with two statements. Love God and love people. But in our humanity, we have made complex what God designed to be peaceful, purposeful, and simple. Now, A.W. Tozer remarks in The Pursuit of God, he says this, every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. 
the simplicity which is in Christ uh, is, is rarely found among us. Instead, our programs, methods, organizations in a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly. And the peace of God scarcely at all. If we could find God amid all the religious externals, we must first determine to find Him and then proceed in the way of simplicity. It's in this quote that really just some things stuck out to me, and that is this, is that, you know, we live in a day and a time in a world and a society that gets more complex as days go on. The, the idea of living a simple life is absolutely no more. I mean, have you ever heard of somebody that is in an older generation than you say times were just more simple back then? They were just, it, it was just, life was simple. You know, it, it was, everybody had a nine to five job. That was Monday through Friday. People had their weekends. People didn't have all of life's busyness happening all of the time. Families actually ate at the table together. There was time. There was opportunities just to take a break and to relax. But now we don't live in a world that's Monday through Friday. We live in a world that is now 24-7. It's nonstop. Life never stops. It never takes a break. We don't know how to rest well anymore. We're stuck in a life of busyness. We're stuck in a life of complexity instead of one of simplicity. And the problem with that is, is now it is bled into our church. And I'm not talking specifically cultivation church. I'm talking about the church in general. We have made church so complex. In fact, people make money off of this. It's like a huge deal. I get inundated with emails and, and, and promotional items all of the time talking about Come and learn these 12 steps and these 15 ways and this 21-step program. I'm like, my goodness, can we just have like a three-step process? You know, it's just become so complex, the systems, the methods. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think what we've done is we've allowed our culture to dictate the church's culture instead of the other way around. The church is designed. Jesus was a simple person. Now, you might take that as kind of like a slight against Jesus, but it's not. He was a very simple person. And in fact, when you read about his, his teachings and you read about what he actually said, it's very simple. He lived in a day and an age where the religious system was so complex that they had found a way to take Ten Commandments and to make it into 630 some odd laws and regulations. And so then they get Jesus pinned into a corner, they think, and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, let me tell you what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. What he did in that moment was, is he said, guys, you're way too complex. I'm going to take 633 things for you, and I'm going to boil it down to two. Because he was simple. He was simple. Sometimes I think we make our, our, our Christian walks more complex than what they have to be. I mean, we have lost 
this, this idea of falling in love with Jesus, and we tried to replace it with a checklist. I have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, through the whole alphabet if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus when He told us, just love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You know, here's another way that He brought simplicity to the scene. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, he's in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching these people who are worried about things. Now, you want to talk about living a simple life. These people in biblical times lived a simple life, but yet they knew how to make it complex then. So this is not something that is just isolated to our world today. It was something that was happening back in Jesus' time as well. And so he, he's, he's finishing up this teaching and he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will I eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now, I think that this scripture is very, very relevant for where we are today because there are times where, and myself included, we get worried over our financial state our ability to provide at times. How many of you ever had that moment where it's like you feel good about, man, I have a little extra money this month or, or in this season of life, so I'm going to go ahead and, and this is something that we don't necessarily need, but we want. And so we're just going to go ahead and we're going to buy that. And then when you buy that, you're so excited about your purchase until like the car breaks down or like something happens with the house. And now you're like, oh my goodness, now the money that I spent on that, I have to spend on this. Let me just tell you a little story. So for us, uh, we just moved into a new house in January, and, uh, and we are very blessed to have the house that we, that we live in. We just felt like it was God's place for us, and God made a way where really there was no way. And so that's the house we live in. And, and so um, the house is bigger than the house that we moved from. And so when you move into a bigger house... You tend to have more space, obviously, and that space needs to be filled. And you don't necessarily have the stuff to fill it. And so we had this particular room in the front of our house that's like a formal dining area, but we use it, are, you are now using it as a sitting area. And so it was like, man, we felt good about where we were at, you know, and we're like, yes, now is the time that we can go and we can get some chairs, and we can, you know, get it. I mean, we're not even finished with it. We just started, okay? And so we get all this stuff. And so then we were thinking, um, uh, uh, see, we moved from a place that had no trees to a place that is absolutely full of trees, which means leaves, and leaves are everywhere. And so when we moved in January, the leaves had already fallen, and so now the landscaping is just overrun with leaves, and it's just out of control. I'm not a landscaper. Okay, and so I know how to pull weeds, but like I feel like I'm just going to disasterize the flower beds if I get into them. Okay, so I I said, Christina, why don't we why don't we call somebody or ask for references on a landscaping guy? We'll just get him to come out and clean it up for us, and then we'll maintain from there. So we got the guy to come out to our house, and so the first thing he does, he goes in our backyard, he goes, "You got a dead tree. You got to take the tree out." I'm thinking to myself, I know that's not cheap. In fact, I know that probably all the money that I just spent plus some in that little sitting area is now equivalent to what the tree is going to cost me. Anybody ever been there? 
Okay? It, it's, like, it's like even when you don't want life to be complex, it gets complex. And so I, I think there are times where what we do is when we get into those situations, we consume ourselves with worry. Christina will tell you, as soon as I found out that that tree had to come down because, you know, we're getting into storm season, and oh, by the way, I found out about that tree before Barry, and then they forecasted Barry to be like the worst ever. And so, like, I'm like, we have to get that tree down. And so we got the tree down. Okay, we made a way to get the tree down. Okay, but, but I worried. Like, you can ask her. Like I, I, like, I got white as a ghost. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do, you know? And then I resolved myself to, you know, because people said, well, call your insurance company. So we called the insurance company, and, and they wouldn't do anything with the tree. And I said, so what you're telling me is, is if this thing falls into my house, you're going to pay to redo my house instead of just paying the little bit to get the tree out of here. Yes, sir, that's what we're telling you. I told Christina, we'll let the tree fall into the house. We get a brand new kitchen. I mean, look, it's awesome, right? You know, I mean, you just have to resolve yourself to certain things. Well, obviously, that's not the right line of thinking. And so, like, but, so don't worry about these things. Don't worry about those things. We get so consumed with worry in our lives these days. Something happens, and man, we go straight to worrying. This shows us the, 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 the general idea that our relationship with Christ is not where it needs to be. I mean, even in that moment, like, God's hammered me since then. Like, man, like, so much for you trusting in me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, because my first reaction was worry. My first reaction was, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to make this happen? So don't worry about these things. Now, I know that's easier said than done, right? What Jesus is saying, He's given us the simple way, but the simple way is not always the easy way. Sometimes you get confused that simple means easy, but simple does not mean easy. Simple can be very hard because our world tells us that everything has to be complex. And so when the world tells us that, we fight this war on the inside of our minds and in our feelings, in our emotions, that is a fight between I have to stay complex or I'm not going to be simple. I'm not going to be simple because the world tells us that simple is no good. And so we fight this battle on the inside of us. But Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Because these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. You see, the reason that Jesus tells us not to be consumed with worry, don't be anxious for anything, is what Paul tells us. But by everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The reason that Paul says that is because when worry fills your mind, it puts like a stopper on your life, allowing the Spirit of God to get in. Anybody have a bathtub that's got a stopper? That's what happens. Instead of the water going down the drain into your heart, it's a plug in your mind. And so the Spirit cannot get through your mind into your heart because you've plugged it up with worry. And that's what happens. And so when we live in a constant state of worry, things become complex and we don't feel God. He says, because these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. You know, the thing about it is, is that Jesus knew that that tree needed to come down. Now, check this out. Verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. 
That is such a simple statement, but it is so hard to live out. It, it, it kind of goes right in line with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. He said, seek first the kingdom. What Jesus is telling you and I in that statement is, is that if you do that, you don't have to worry about anything else. Just seek his kingdom. Seek his mind. Seek his will. You know, how many times do we have decisions that we're faced with that, that instead of going to him and praying to him and seeking his kingdom, we go to Google, we go to other people, we go to all these other things, all these other sources to try to come up with an answer, try to come up with a strategy, and instead of we don't, we don't even take time to hear his voice on what to do. But if we seek his kingdom first, above all else, and we live righteously. So we seek His kingdom. But this is where I think people miss out on this. It's like we want to seek His kingdom, but we still want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. That's not what He says. He says you've got to seek the kingdom, you've got to live righteously, and then He will give you everything you need. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times, how many times, when people find themselves in a pickle, they don't want to be around Jesus, seek Jesus until a problem arises. And as soon as a problem arises, that's when they want to seek Jesus. That's when they want answers. That's when they want God to come through for them. And then when God doesn't necessarily come through for them, then they get frustrated with Him, blame Him. They don't want to take the second piece of this and live righteously. I said this last week, we cannot get ourselves to a place where we straddle the fence, have one foot in, one foot out. It doesn't work that way. The, all of the promises of God, think about this, revolve around seeking Him first and living righteously. I mean, we quote verses all today, all, 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 all day long. God works all things together for the good. And we're like, yes and amen to those that are what? He will work all things out for the good to those who what? Love Him and are called according to His purposes. Let me just shrink love Him and called according to His purposes to this. Live righteously. You see, we want what Jesus has to offer when we need it, but on our terms. God, just get me out of this jam. Get me out of this jam. And then what? You're just going to go back to living the way that you live? Seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. Now, here's what I think is the issue, is that the church and those that, 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 that say they believe in Jesus, we have a thirst issue. We have a thirst issue. We're dehydrated, but we think that we're hydrated. We don't think that we are thirsty, but we really are. The church is so dehydrated today. We're dehydrated. Has anybody ever been dehydrated? It is a miserable feeling. But see... The reason that we don't know that we're miserable 
and that we're dehydrated is because everybody else is dehydrated as well. And so when we look at other people, we just say that's normal. We've allowed the world to become normal. And so we tried to blend in with that. When really God's called His church to be the ones where the supernatural is normal. Where to being thirsty is normal. To where living righteously is normal. Jesus in John chapter 7 does something pretty, pretty awesome. Now I'm going to read specifically in verses 37 through 39. And I'm, I'm going to give some background here because it says this in verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival. Okay, let me give you some background here. This festival that they speak of is the festival of shelters or the festival of tabernacles, which uh, is happening during this story. Uh, in fact, in these particular verses, it's at the end. Um, and, and the festival of tabernacles was, an, was a seven uh, or eight-day festival where families would actually camp in temporary shelters to remember God's faithfulness to Israel in the wilderness time. After their deliverance out of Egypt, they, they, so they would observe this feast and they would act, it would be like us um, living in tents in our backyards for eight days uh, to celebrate the, the fact that God took care of the Israelites in the wilderness. So that's what's happening, okay? And so uh, everybody would come uh, to uh, uh, th this area and, and they would celebrate all together. It was also an annual reminder to the people that God is the great shepherd who has chosen to tabernacle among them, to protect them, to bless them wherever they wander. So they're at this festival and Here's the thing, if you go and you read all of chapter 7, in verses 1 through 9, it introduces the fact that this is the time for the Festival of Tabernacles. And it says that Jesus' brothers are encouraging him to come to the festival. Because basically what they're saying is, is, Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and do these miracles at this festival and then people will believe. But basically, give the people what they want. They want something that is sensational. They want something that they can ooh and ah over. It's basically they want the acts, but they don't want the person. It's a lot like where we find ourselves today. We get excited about what Jesus can do, but are we excited about Jesus, the person? And so Jesus tells the guys, hey, look, I'm not going to go. You go without me. I'm not going. My time has not yet come. Well, then he shifts gears and he decides that he is going to go, but yet he's going to go secretly. He's, he's, he's going to attend the festival, but he's going to uh, secretly go, disguise himself, hide himself. I don't know how that, how that is. Maybe he just allowed people not, I mean, because he is Jesus. So, I mean, he could cause people, he could be the invisible man and be at this festival. But either way, he's there secretly. And then midway through the festival, he decides to reveal himself and say, here I am, and he begins teaching at the temple. So that's what's happening. And then uh, you, you read about Jesus' uh, teaching in verses 10 through 24 of chapter 7, and then in verses 25 through 36, people begin to debate, is Jesus the Messiah? So you had some people in one camp that says, yes, this is Jesus the Messiah. Then you had other people that says, there's no way he could be the Messiah because he's from Nazareth. 
and there's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. So he's so so you got two camps here at this festival. Can you imagine the scene if you're there? I mean, you're you're supposed to be at a joyous occasion, okay? Because the festival of tabernacles was actually one of the most joyous festivals that the Jewish people uh, observe, and so it's a time of joy. You're excited. Things are going great. You're camping out, and the kids love it. You're doing s'mores. It's awesome. Things are happening. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, shows up midway through and starts teaching, and he's about to totally turn this thing on its head. He starts teaching. And people can't debate what he's teaching because, in fact, they go, how does he know what to teach? Because he didn't learn the same way that rabbis learn. So how did he do this? They are in awe of Him, but they don't know how to receive Him. They don't know how to accept Him. And that's where we find this great divide among people that do and don't believe in who this Jesus is. Well, you think He really got things stirred when He started to teach. When He gets up and does what He does in these verses, oh my. Like, like this is like shock and awe is about to happen. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. He had religious people flipping out of their minds at this point. They are thinking, who is this guy? We need to arrest him right now. He is going to jail. We're going to try him. We're going to to, to condemn him to death. I mean, they were thinking all of this. The cool thing about it is, is if you read in part of that story, they tried, but they couldn't even do anything. Because remember, Jesus came to give his life. Nobody took his life from him. So it was almost as if you could see like temple guards trying to go in all of their might to capture him, but they, had, they, they just stayed put. They could not move. I mean, it's pretty awesome when you think about that. I mean, sometimes, like I, I say this all the time, sometimes we read these stories and we just like skim over certain things. But when you read something like that where they could not touch him, they physically could not touch him. Because Jesus had like some kind of force field around him that if you tried to get near him, you were going to be zapped, blown back, something. You couldn't touch the man. Man, Jesus was like the original Avenger. Like the awesome Avenger. Like, 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 okay. Maybe I'm the only one fascinated by that, but my goodness, it's like, wow. Okay, so verse 37, on the last day. So the festival lasted eight days. So the first seven days, listen to this, because this is important for where we're going. So I kind of want you to put a pin on this, okay? In the first seven days, water from the pool of Siloam was carried in a gold pitcher and poured out at the footsteps of the entrance of the temple. Okay? Water was poured out, and it was poured out to remind people that God miraculously provided water in the wilderness. Okay? You need to put a pin on that. All right? Verse... It goes in and it says, Jesus stood and shouted. I also need you to put a pin on this. So it's like you've got two pieces of paper, but they go together. So pin this together too. Jesus stood and shouted. Now this is important. This is important because you've got to understand what is going on here. It's important because of where he was standing. When he was standing, he would have been standing at the footsteps, the doorway to the temple, telling people, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. 
Okay, so it's important to know where he was standing. So that's where he was standing. Number two is when. It was the last day after water had been poured. There was no more water to be poured. It was done. The religious activity was done, over with. And now Jesus says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. And how? He was a man who was full of passion. And he shouted. It wasn't like, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. He was like, anyone! I mean, I can imagine. I mean, like he is passionate. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. You know what Jesus was saying then? And I believe he's saying it the same way to us today. Stop enduring religion and start enjoying relationship. Amen, brother. That was good. Stop enduring religion and start enjoying relationship. You say, I don't endure religion. Well, then if you're marking a checklist, thinking, oh man, if I attend a church, if I do this, if I do this, if you're keeping a a, a check log of how many times you do these things to make sure that you're okay, guess what? You're enduring religion. Start enjoying a relationship. You know, sometimes we come to church and we wonder why we don't get anything out of it. It's because we're just enduring religion. We're enduring something that somebody told us we had to do. Some of you might even be here today because you are made to or because you feel like you have to or you feel like if I don't come today, I'm not going to feel bad. I'm not going to feel right about myself. I'll feel bad. Guess what? That's religion. You're enduring religion. We need to be a people that starts enjoying a relationship with Him. He's come to give you life and life abundantly. I mean, sometimes you can walk into places that are worship centers, sanctuaries, whatever you want to call it, and sometimes it's the most miserable looking bunch of people that you've ever seen. Why? Because they're enduring religion. They're not enjoying a relationship. Jesus got to the end of the festival and He said, look, I love the festival. I don't have a problem with what it represents. I don't have a problem with you reminding it. But don't just do it for the sake of doing it. Stop enduring the religious part of it. Start enjoying the relationship part of it. Don't just sit here and do it because it's what everybody has always done. Do it and really get in tune with who God is. That God is the one that led you out of Egypt. That God is the one that stood with you at the bank of the, of the, of the, the Red Sea and split it open and you crossed on dry ground think about the God who wanted relationship with you on that mountain but you said no let Moses be the spokesperson and think about what Moses and Joshua think about them in the tent of meeting and they were in the presence of God think about King David who was in the presence of God and wrote out all of the Psalms Jesus is saying hey look you can have a relationship just like they did come to me anyone who is thirsty come to me stop enduring just doing it for the sake of doing it enjoy the relationship he says anyone going back to John chapter 7 he says anyone who is thirsty may come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink He says, anyone, anyone. This is important. 
Because you see, in that day and time, the Jewish people thought that they were the elites. Yes, they might have been God's chosen people in the Old Testament, but what Jesus was coming to do was to say, I'm here for anybody. I'm here for all. I love it that he doesn't say, hey, any Jewish people out there who are thirsty, come to me. He said, anyone. Intelligence, race, class, nationality, or political party does not limit what Jesus can do. He's not limited to that. He could care less about all that. He's here for anybody who wants him. He says, anyone, anyone, anyone. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Anyone. It just makes me so sick to my stomach when I look at what's going on in our world today, specifically our country. The prejudice that we have, the divides that we have, it is an absolute travesty to see what's going on. And to think that there are people out there that are trying to manufacture that stuff too is just it just it just oh it just crawls on my skin. And what even it gets me even more fired up is when the church tries to interject themselves not to getting the divide out but participating in the divide even more. I don't serve a Jesus that said, I just came for a certain group of people. I serve a Jesus that said, anyone who's thirsty, I don't care who you are. If you're thirsty, come. Come. Jesus doesn't see skin color. He doesn't see what class you're in. He doesn't see what intelligence level you're in. He doesn't see what letter is at the end of your name on your voter registration card. All he cares about is is if you're thirsty or not. He says, anyone who is thirsty. Now, here's the second part of it. He came for anyone, yes, who is thirsty. You see, Jesus is saying, one must know their need. One must see their need. This is what I'm talking about. We got too many dehydrated Christians who don't even know they're dehydrated. Today is the day that you need to figure out if you're dehydrated or not. Who is thirsty? You got to know you're thirsty. You see, thirst is not anything in itself, it is a lack of something, it's an emptiness, it's a crying need. And then he says, Who believes? Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Who believes? One, ones that put their faith into Him. Ones who trust in Him. Ones who rely on Him. Ones who cling to Him. As Christina comes back up, in verse 38 it says, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That his in there is not Jesus. That his in there is you. Take his out, put her in there. It's for all of us. If we come, and we're thirsty, and we believe, then we can come and we can take a drink. For the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart, And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. 
But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into His glory. What Jesus was saying is, is if you come to Me, you believe in Me, you drink of the water that I give, you're going to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's talking, that, that, that river of living water is the Holy Spirit. You see, he also said that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So Jesus did not only speak of something coming into a person, but something flowing out of them as well. Jesus did not only speak of something coming into a person, but something flowing out of them as well. Yes, Jesus came to save. He came to seek and save that which was lost. If we go back to that verse in John 10.10, which is not on the screen, where he talks about, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. That life is receiving who he is. But living it abundantly means that it's flowing out. That, that, that there's so much of life that he's giving that, that we have no other choice but to give it away. That, that, that river of living water flowing out from within our hearts. See, God didn't just save you to put you on a shelf. God saved you to partner with you. It's, it's almost as if like, I mean, picture it. You're around dehydrated people all day long. How can you help them if you're dehydrated? But if you're hydrated and you have an overflow, then when you come into contact with people, you can begin to give them something flowing out from you to hydrate them. And he says, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who believes, can come and get a drink. Now, remember when I told you to put a pin on some things? I told you to put a pin on the fact that it's important to understand where Jesus was standing. That he was at the door of the temple on the steps. That he did it on the last day after all the water had been poured out. Now, why is that important? Because this was the fulfillment. Now, this is just me. But this was the fulfillment of Ezekiel 47. If you go and you look at Ezekiel 47, let's look at it. Verses, it, it says this, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the what? Of the what? Temple. Where was Jesus standing? Okay. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. Where was Jesus standing? So he's at the temple, on the doorstep. This says, I saw a stream flowing from beneath the door. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. And there I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Go to verse 3. 
measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across, and the water was up to my ankles. You see, the ankles equal stepping into the faith. When we come to know who Jesus is, it's like we step into the water. But we're ankle deep. We're ankle deep. A lot of us, we stay right here all of the time. Ankle deep means, man, we believe in Jesus. We might even read His Word every now and then, and we get His Word on Sundays, and it's great and all. And, and man, I feel the water on my ankles, and it's awesome. That's not where Jesus desires for you to stay. So then he goes and he goes, he measured off another 1,750 feet and he led me across again and this time the water was up to my knees. You see, when we start gradually pursuing this relationship with Jesus and we get up to our knees now, that knees is kind of a a, a symbol of prayer. Where now we're not just at a place where we know who Jesus is and we hear his word but now we're actually praying you know we've got some kind of two way communication thing going on right and sometimes we feel really good about getting there because man that's, that's a good place to be but that's not where he wants us to stop he says and after another 1750 feet it was up to my waist some translations say loins loins a couple things that happen in the loin area. One of which is the reproductive part. Okay? You know what reproduction is? It's increase. You know what else is, is that people refer to loins as where your strength is. You see, but if we just stop at the knee and we don't keep pursuing God, Anyone who's thirsty, let him come and drink. If we're not willing to stay thirsty and to go deeper into what he has, when it gets up to our waist, then guess what? Now God has access to bring us increase and to bring us his strength because we don't get his strength until we go there with him. Now, this is a really cool place. You've ever been to the beach and you get into the waist high, you know, you start kind of flowing with the wave a little bit but guess what you still have control notice what I just said you still have control when you're waist deep then he measured another 1750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across it was deep enough to swim in but not deep to walk through but too deep to walk through oh now this is where it's at Because you see, when you get to this place, you lose all control. Now you've become submissive to the river. When you become submissive to the river, that's where the supernatural life takes a hold. That's where it starts coming. That's where it starts being activated. You see, sometimes we, you know, I've been crying out, God, 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 I just want to see you move. You know, we sang a song about it this morning. You know, this is a move. This is a move. This is a move. We want to see God move. You're here. We want to see healings. We want to see the supernatural take place. But then God is like, man, how submitted are you? How deep in the river are you? Are you, are you just ankle deep? Are you knee deep? Are you waist deep? Or are you just lost all control? And you know what? Quite frankly, I can tell you that I'm probably about waist deep. And God's saying, you've got to go deeper. But if you're any 
wear close to how I am, I'm a guy who likes to be in control. I want to know what's going to go on, when it's going to go on, how it's going to go on. I don't like this idea of totally being out of control. But God's saying, if you want to see me move in the supernatural, you've got to go deeper. You've got to get to a place where you're fully surrendered, where you let your control out and you let my control in. Because guess what? Listen to this. Submission takes you to a place of substance. In God's economy, when you submit, that's when you get substance. But until then, you're just going to get surface level stuff. It's like you'll get enough to get you by for a couple days or even maybe a week, but then it wears off. You see, if this is the only time that you're really trying to dig in, you're not fully submitting yourself. You, you're, 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 you're just getting ankle deep and knee deep, but you're not, you're not getting to the place where you're waist deep and where the river is over your head. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. If anyone believes in me, he can come and drink. Jesus, and, and here's, here's the other thing. Think about this. Remember how I told you that they would come with the golden pitcher every day and pour the water out? Think about that picture for a minute. They had to go somewhere, get the water, walk somewhere else and pour it out, and then walk back and pour it again. They never get a flow out of that. There's not a flow that ever comes out of that. It's just a, a marking of water. It's a puddle. And if it's any kind of climate like what we have over here, by the time the next day rolled around, it's dry. Because, see, when we tried to do it on our own, there is no substance. When we try to do it on our own, there's never enough. When we try to meet our own needs, it's our drop by the time we get back to the place where we got it from. And when we keep doing that, it never produces a flow. There's never a flow. There's never an ability to acquire more than just that little bit that's in the picture. But Jesus said, I'm here and I got an endless amount. It'll continue to flow and it'll flow for all eternity because there is no end to my river. There is no dryness in my river. There is no drought in who I am. I will always be the living water. I will always be the one that you can come and that you can drink. Anyone, anyone who is thirsty can come and drink. Anyone who believes in me can come and drink. And you will be satisfied. But don't stop when you're ankle deep. Keep going. And even when you get to knee deep, keep going. And when you get to waist deep, don't stop. Keep going until you're fully surrendered because that is where substance comes in. That's where the supernatural starts taking place. That's where you begin to be fulfilled. That's where you find satisfaction. That's where you begin to live life and life more abundantly. Anyone who is thirsty 
anyone who is thirsty. And then look at verses 6 through 9 at the results of what we read about here in Ezekiel. He says, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he, he led me back along the riverbank. And when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of how many trees growing on both sides of the river. And he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds amazing. It's saying everything that that river touches, life happens. Even to the point of the banks of the river where the water doesn't even stay, it still gets part of the blessing because trees are growing. But anything that that water touches, life happens. I don't know about you, but we need some life in our own lives. And the only way to get it is to allow us to get into the river and to let the river touch our lives and to bring life. felt like the thing for you today is is are you thirsty are you thirsty are you thirsty man I'm so thankful that that scripture doesn't say anyone who's thirsty come to Pastor Matt it doesn't say that. It says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Come to Jesus. This is how I want us to end. I want all of us to stand. We can go ahead and turn the lights down.